You are listening to Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dylan, and on this show, we turn movies into sports and look at all the Oscar prospects and their fantasy value. I believe that this is going to win Best Picture, and here's why. I mean, Denis Villeneuve got all the nominations he needed for Dune and still missed out on the Best Director slot. Don't let me get my hopes up. The Academy has disappointed me too many times. Thank you to the Academy. Thank you to all of you in this room. I can't remember the last time I walked out of the movie theater on such a high. No matter how certain it seems, anything can happen on nominations morning. Never count the Golden Globes for just doing something off the walls and bonkers. It's the kind of movie that reminds me of why I fell in love with movies. And the Oscar goes to... Welcome into episode 49 of Fantasy Filmball. My name is Dill. And my name is Matt, and this is a show where we turn movies into sports and sports into something we don't talk about here. And today, we've got a little bit of a smaller episode, I guess. We are in the middle of the Cannes Film Festival, which means that over on YouTube, we are in the middle of the Cannes Parallel Challenge, which means I am editing over 20 separate videos this week. So we're going a little bit lighter on this week in general. Plus... There just weren't a lot of movie releases this week that we were super stoked about. I mean, we could talk about Fast X, but I don't want to. I know you're going to see it today, right? I know. You turn your back on family. How could you do this? I've only seen Fast 5 and Fast 6, so I haven't even seen the the one where... God, what what's his name? Um... Paul Walker, the one where he drives away with the sad music. I turned my back on family in 2013 after Fast and Furious 6. How could you? How could you? Vin is so upset with you right now. How is he going to get his three fast exes? As Matt mentioned, we have a little bit of a shorter episode. That doesn't mean we have nothing to go over. We're going to talk about the Killers of the Flower Moon trailer. We're going to go into the specialized categories as well as dive into a franchise draft. We may not be talking Fast and Furious. Who knows? Maybe it pops up in the draft. <laughs> it could. It, it, it totally could. And I am excited to talk about this Killers of the Flower Moon trailer, so let's get right on over to that. We are going to go over, I think, what most people will consider their most anticipated movie for the rest of the year, Martin Scorsese's brand new film, Killers of the Flower Moon. We finally have a trailer for it. Matt, general thoughts here. Yeah, I, I think it looks great. I mean, I've maybe been a little bit less high on this movie just on a personal level, mostly just because Scorsese's last few films haven't been amazing for me. I've really liked them, but like The Irishman, for example, I think is like in every single category at the 2019 Oscars, it was my least favorite nominee every single category that it was in. I still liked it, just to be clear, I did, but I found it to be not as much of like a revelation as everyone else did. So I've kind of been expecting the same from Killers, especially because I read the script a year and a half ago, two years ago, and I thought the script was boring as hell. Apparently they've rewritten it, but um, I did not find Killers of Flower Moon script to be very intriguing. What are your first thoughts, first takeaways on Killers of the Flower Moon here? I really dug this trailer. I know I've kind of talked in the past about my appreciation for Robbie Robertson's contributions to Scorsese's movies, and I think the score here sounds very, very good, and maybe this will be his time to finally get recognized because he is not won an Academy Award for ever working with Scorsese and I feel like eventually he's got to get something but overall I liked Leo's voice I thought there was a lot of cool shots throughout 
And I was a little surprised that everyone said, like, oh, no, Jesse Plemons is the lead, yet he maybe has, like, two frames of this whole trailer. Well, in the script that I read and in the book that this is based on, Jesse Plemons' character, Tom White, is the lead. He is the lawman that comes in to solve the problem. But apparently, as they were kind of breaking the script, as they were going through draft after draft, this is why I say the script I read has apparently changed a ton to what the final movie is. They realize that the core of the story is not Tom White solving the crime. It's instead the question of the love story at the center between Leonardo DiCaprio's Ernest character and Lily Gladstone's Molly. They really shifted it so that Leonardo DiCaprio is the lead. Plemons, De Niro are supporting, and Gladstone could be either. So we're going to dive into some of our feelings with possible nominations throughout this. Just keep in mind, we are reacting to the trailer right after it's been seen. Since we've recorded this, before it gets published, people have actually watched this movie. So there's be more eyes and more comments on this. But this is just a trailer reaction in terms of where we think it could get Oscar nominations. Because I feel like at the end of the day, even if this movie bombs in terms of total nominations... I feel like Picture's probably going to be safe, like Fablements, like Nank. It's the early frontrunner that just coasts by all season long. Totally. I think that this looks like a, it looks like an incredible film from this trailer. It looks very artfully done. Martin Scorsese knows how to spend money. So the direction, the uh, scope of this project looks pretty awesome. And I think that it has, I wouldn't call it a total lock, but I would say it's probably like a 95% lock for picture and director in terms of nominations. Now I will say I've already seen people on Twitter, on Reddit saying, well, we can wrap it up. That's the best picture winner. And I just think back to last year in September when it was the world premiere of The Fablemans and David Ehrlich went on Twitter and said, I know we all have to pretend that things aren't wrapped up, but we can all admit that The Fablemans is just winning best picture, right? Which just mm -hmm. wasn't the case. And I can foresee the same thing happening for Killers of the Flower Moon, where immediately it's going to be seen. People are going to say this is the best thing ever, and it's definitely going to win Best Picture, right? And then, obviously, like things just don't happen like that. This is a very dark, very slow, very meditative, three-and-a-half-hour-long movie. Scorsese wants to take his time with things. He wants to build the, the poetic nature of this story. This is more silence than it is Wolf of Wall Street, so... I'm not expecting this to be winning material at the end of the year. Well, as someone who would say Silence is their favorite Scorsese movie, that makes me very happy to hear. And I mean, you just mentioned their picture director. They seem pretty safe for nominations. And with it being three and a half hours, there's a lot of time for actors to have screen time. So we have, I would say, four possible acting nominations here. So after seeing a trailer to put, you know, a face and visuals to like what you read two years ago, does anyone really jump off the page to you, even though DiCaprio is the only one who has any lines of actual dialogue? DiCaprio sounds kind of goofy, is what I'll say. I mean, I, I love DiCaprio, but um, he could go the way of Robert De Niro and the Irishman in this movie. I would say it's very possible he gets nominated. From the script I read, I would say Ernest is not a role that gets nominated at all all but again the script that i read is not the script that they shot apparently dicaprio is very possible i am not sure if he'd be in my five but then with supporting i think lily gladstone and robert de niro both have winning shots 
I think that both of them have a very strong argument to win in both of the supporting categories. That said, if Lily Gladstone goes lead, she will not win. Yeah, I definitely back you up there with Gladstone with the supporting lead argument. While I think lead may not have as many contenders, it has strong contenders. While supporting may have more people in the race, but no one's really jumping off the page like, oh my gosh, they're going to sweep the year in the way that Gladstone could. I've been on the De Niro train for winning supporting actors, so I'm glad to, you know, hear someone else feels like they may have a shot to actually take that award. And I get the whole Leo kind of sounds goofy, but I would make the same case for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where he had a little bit of a goofy voice. It's Leo at the end of the day, and while he took forever to get a win, he usually still got nominated. I know there's a few exceptions here and there, but yeah. if his movie was a, you know, giant picture contender outside of Titanic, he usually found his way into the lineup. So I would say this far out, it's safe to have him in your five, but don't have him number one or two. Have him more like number three, four, or five. He's not a win contender in this role, I would say. I think that's how I feel overall with a lot of things in this, is that it's not maybe a win contender, but it's very strong for a nomination. It's going to get a lot of top fives, but a lot of those are not going to be number ones or number twos. They're going to be three, four, fives. A category I know a lot of people at this moment have killers winning is adapted screenplay, where I think you and I are both not have it at number one. But I can see the angle for why people have it there. But at least looking at the trailer here, it doesn't really scream like, oh my gosh, there's a lot of like dialogue or whatever. But I, I think it's probably safe for nomination. I mean, Irishman got in even though it won nothing. So I feel like there's no reason for this one not to unless obviously the movie performs more like Silence, where it's just like strong in like two categories. But Silence was a weird exception for Scorsese. I don't know. Maybe I'm also a little bit poisoned by the fact that I didn't like the script of this movie that I read. But I just, I think that there's going to be something more unique, more charming in this category. That makes sense. And I can definitely agree with that there at the moment. What is that movie? I'm not sure. But that's the fun of, you know, predicting all the way out here in May. We can't really get a feel for screenplay or really for acting or even editing for that reason from a trailer. But what we can get a feel for is the visuals like production design, costume design, cinematography. At least to you, do any of those jump off the page to be like, hey, we can win for Lily Gladstone and this, or is it just the two supporting um, acting performances for you at this moment? I will say the cinematography looks gorgeous. Uh, there is a great use of chiaroscuro in this. Uh, it's very reminiscent of Caravaggio, which is one of Scorsese's biggest influences. He really draws from painting a lot. So it's, it's looking gorgeous. It's looking like one of the most well-shot Scorsese movies since I would say probably Hugo. So I think it's a lock for a cinematography nomination, but that said, does it look look prettier than even Oppenheimer from what we've seen. I, I don't know for sure. I, I wouldn't say that this is a win contender for cinematography, but goddamn, it looks great. Uh, we said this in our last uh, predictions that we did here on the channel that Killers and Oppenheimer, while they're not the same movie in terms of like tone, they have a lot of the same elements with being set in a desert, building their sets from scratch, big name directors, and period pieces. So like, while I don't think they're directly competing on paper, you kind of make the angle, especially when you get to like production design. These are two period pieces while they're a different time period. They're still kind of doing the same type of work in a way. I do think cinematography is pretty safe for nomination. I would also lean, after seeing the trailer for this, more killers than Oppenheimer in terms of production design. Costumes is a place I think could work here for killers because of the work that will be done on the indigenous cast members where that will give it the more leg up compared to some of the other competitors in this field but the tech that i'm more i guess interested in is the one i mentioned above is the score work where 
I think this could be the additional win that this movie gets, so it's not just a one-win movie. It is possible. Robbie Robertson has done a lot of great work, and he's one of the only indigenous main creatives on this film. So if you're going to reward something about Killers of the Flower Moon, why not reward one of the actual indigenous people making this movie? And Robbie Robertson, being the composer and being indigenous, is a great narrative. It's a great argument for why this could be the winning film for best original score. I think sound is a great bet. I mean, we've got the wind rolling across the Oklahoma plains. We've got explosions, gunshots. It seems like there's going to be a lot of sound design work in this movie. So I do think it could be a duo editing sound nominee. I do as well. I think sound is pretty safe regardless. And then editing is just, you know, what is the feel looking like this year? Because I think editing is the hardest thing to gauge until you actually see a movie. Because like, you can't really get a sense of what editing is like just based on a trailer because you can cut a trailer one way. The movie's completely different. So I, I would say at this moment, yeah, definitely throw editing in there for the line of huge nominations this movie could get. And I guess that's the next thing we should dive into. What is this movie's ceiling? I'm looking at 12 as its max, obviously it's not going to get 12 nominations. I mean, it could, but that doesn't seem very likely. No matter what, I think that this gets in at least two supporting performances, a screenplay nomination, cinematography. So I would say at the bare minimum between like four to six nominations, but I would say the floor is really like eight nominations and the ceiling is like 12 to 13 nominations. This is a very, I feel like if you're doing like what we do here on the show, a draft, this is a very safe early round pick because it has a very, very, very high floor, just like what the Irishman had as well. It's very safe, but at the same time, it's not very exciting. There's not much range that it can do. You know this is going to, in our game, clear 1,000 points, but is it going to be that sort of miracle that everyone has been looking for? I am not absolutely certain. I'm sure the reviews from Cannes are saying just that. This is the best movie of the year. This is sure to win Best Picture. But when we hear something like that, it generally means that movie is not, at the very end of the year, going to win Best Picture. Because people are ready for it to do just that. They're not going to be excited by it at that point. We are diving into some specialized category predictions for the month of May. These are our last predictions that we are going over for this month. We've done everything else, so if you want to hear our last thoughts before we get all this new information from the Cannes Film Festival, go out and check our channel. Subscribe, because we're going to be doing these each and every month updating. Without further ado, let's dive right into this. The category that I feel like a lot of people love to talk about, because there's a lot of, you know, populist choices in this category this year. I see one of them right there in the background. Best animated feature. So Matt, why don't you kick us away with what I think is your number one right back there? I wonder what my number one could could be. I, I sure wonder uh, if I think that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is going to win Best Animated Feature. I do. Look, I have inside intel that this movie is better than the first one, and if it's better than the first one, ooh boy, ooh lord, this is a big boy contender. Into the Spider-Verse was a movie that released so late that people didn't even know what hit them. And I actually think that if that film had a little bit more time to run up support, it could have actually ended up being a wider contender across more categories. It could have gotten into song, potentially adapted screenplay, in a miracle world, maybe even best picture. Now, across the Spider-Verse, the buzz around this is insane. People are saying that this is 
going to be better than the original. Now, if it is, the original film got an 87 out of 100 on Metacritic. This one very likely could clear 90. And if it clears 90, then I think we have to be open to the possibility that this is not just a best animated feature contender. This is a very possible best picture player. I know I'm still a little hung up on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio last year underperforming, so my predictions for this movie aren't as big as you are, but I would really hope that this movie is better than the last one, and I would love to see it outperform and get into adapted or get into song, score, wherever this movie can find its way into. I definitely have that my number one as well, but I'm not to the point of putting it into another category. The thing that we're going to see with this one is just like, does it get passion from the right groups of people? Because I could see the same crowd and this isn't because this is a multiverse movie. It's because it's a very youthful, energetic movie. But I could see the same crowd that really fell for everything everywhere all at once. I could see that same crowd really going for Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. But in my second place spot, I have Hayao Miyazaki's How Do You Live? Does this break my heart that this is my number two now? It sure does. I would love for this to be the winner. I think Hayao Miyazaki deserves another animated win. I desperately want Miyazaki to be in the race. But that said, we won't know whether the film is truly a masterpiece or just an old man making a movie about a book that he liked as a kid uh, until July. So after July, we'll know a little bit more about whether this movie could actually genuinely be a contender beyond animated feature. But, you know, if The Wind Rises couldn't do it, I, I don't know why How Do You Live absolutely has to other than just me blindly hope dicting that my favorite filmmaker of all time will win another Oscar. So I'm going to try to step back from that personal bias. Then I have Elemental from Pixar. I, I'm not sure how I feel about how this movie looks, but Early Word says it is very, very good. It is one of only three Pixar movies to play at the Cannes Film Festival, and it has been a mark of quality for every single one of those films. That said, if this comes out and it kind of gets like an eh, response like Onward did, then I would replace it with a different Disney movie, which I'll talk about a little bit later. I'm a lot higher in Elemental than you are at the moment. I do have it at my number two, and I don't have it winning, but I, it's a close number two at the moment. Like you just mentioned, every Pixar movie to go to Cannes was a major contender. We had Up got in the best picture. We had Inside Out, which was probably number 10 or 11 that year. However, here with Elemental, I don't think it's in winning contention just because of how big the buzz is around across the Spider-Verse is at this moment, but I do think it's a very firm, very solid number two. The buzz is already very good on this movie, and I'm sure once the movie comes out, it's going to be a very big box office hit where the audiences do come out and do support this movie. Number four, I have Chicken Run, Dawn of the Nugget. This is Netflix's big push in this category this year. They always have a major contender of some kind and this year it is most certainly Chicken Run. Chicken Run is actually a, a funny one because this is the sequel to the movie that is the reason that this category exists in the first place. They put in animated after it came shockingly close to a Best Picture nomination because it landed a PGA nomination. It was very, very close to getting into the Best Picture Five. You know, I think that there is a legacy that's appreciated here. It's from Artman Studios, which the Academy always loves. I think Artman has 
practically every single time gotten a nomination, even for Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon, which I remember people telling me I was crazy for having in my animated predictions, and then it got in anyways. I am gonna ride with Aardman, I'm gonna ride with Netflix, and I'm gonna say this is a lock for this category. Aardman gets in, Netflix always finds a way to get at least one movie into this category, so I feel like, well, this may not be really that top number one, two, or three. Four, I think is a great spot for because it, it's going to be last year like Puss in Boots is going to be that movie where people underrate at first but it's always in that 3-4 range throughout the rest of the season. At number five I have The Peasants. This is uh, a fully painted animated movie from the director of Loving Vincent. It looks stunning. There's a trailer available for the film. It seems like it's going to be one of the most beautiful, one of the most talked about animated films of the year, especially in the artsy scene. And you know, there's always one or two movies in here that's a little bit more elevated, a little bit more artsy. Could that be How Do You Live and nothing else? It totally could, but I see a world where I think we could get two more challenging, more grown-up films in the top five for animated. And The Peasants does look really, really strong, especially because Loving Vincent had a nomination a couple years ago, and this looks better than that film did. So yeah, I'll go through the rest of mine a little bit quicker. At number six, I have Wish. Only one of the two Disney movies will get in this year. I don't think Wish looks very good, though I do think it's going to win Best Original Song. I think it might feel like a bit of a contrived film from Disney, because the entire reason for this movie to exist is for Disney to say, it's our 100 years. This is the story of the star that Pinocchio wished on. This is our wishing star movie. I, I, it's not selling me on the premise. It feels like a bit of a cash grab. But that said, the music is gonna be good. Fully convinced that Ariana DeBose is going to sing that song to an Oscar win. Hearing the song, I can see this being a huge hit. But the movie itself, I, I just, I don't think it's going to be in here. I think it's a Frozen 2. And at number seven, I have TMNT Mutant Mayhem. This movie looks so fun. I am gonna love the hell out of it. It's very possible that it's just so good that it makes it into the top five. This is a stacked year. Any other year, I'd say easy top five. Last year, easy top five. Year before, easy top five. This year, no, 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 no. This is hard top five. Then there is the Super Mario Bros. movie. Look, do I think this is getting in? No. At the end of the year, is this going to be six, seven? Probably, because it's going to get a Golden Globe nomination. It's going to get a PGA nomination. They're going to award something that is one of the most successful animated movies ever. Will the Oscars go for something like this? No, they won't. It's not in my top five, but it is worthy of being in the top 10 because that's where it's going to be at the end of the year. At number nine, I have Robot Dreams. This is premiering at Cannes. It just got picked up by Neon. It looks very funny, very sweet. That's why I think it has a, a shot, but I, I'm not going to call it a huge contender. At number 10, I have Susan which if we're looking for those artsy, uh, more adult movies, like How Do You Live, like The Peasants, Suzume could slide in there. Now, I didn't really like Suzume that much. I know I'm in the minority on this, so that's why I don't have it at the moment. Also, to rattle off some others, Nimona from Netflix, I don't think they can get two in, and Chicken Run is definitely in. Spellbound from Apple TV+, Plus. if this one has great music, it's very possible that this could slide its way in as a contender. Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken, I don't think 
this looks very good. But that said, it's possible that it picks up some steam through the year uh, if it's surprisingly great. It is from DreamWorks, and they are on a bit of a hot streak. Then they shot The Piano Player. It's a movie from Cuba. But that said, it missed Cannes, where it was supposed to play, possibly in competition. And without that competition slot, I'm not as confident in it as a actual contender here. The Mario case is really interesting to me because... I would love to know when's the last time that a anime movie got PJ, it got Golden Globe, and still missed out on the Oscar nomination because be normally like, those movies still find their way in. The Crudes too. It's like that no. type of movie, you know. There's uh, or or Sing Two. Those big audience-driven kids movies they usually can get in golden globe pga and then they look like they're gonna get in and then they just don't because they don't have the reviews for it that probably makes sense there i i, I wouldn't have it in my top five either but i think where you have it is a pretty good spot because i think muni mayhem could surprise but also with how stacked this year looks i don't think it has enough room to get in and i really do think it's between wish peasants for that last spot it's just do they go with the more adult or they go with the more populist type choice and i think it will be a real test to see how voters really vote then i think spellbound has a small shot alan macon's doing the music apple tv has never really succeeded so far in this category even though they they've tried and they haven't got close yet so i think that's one to wait until the movie actually comes up before throwing it into your top 10 with spellbound and with wish it just depends on how much the music hits and that said, with Wish, the song that Ariana DeBose sings is stuck in my head right now. It's a likely winner in Best Original Song. And if that's the case, then the momentum for another Oscar win? Ooh, maybe I should have this in my top five for animated, but I just don't think the movie looks all that great. Well, that's one we'll have to wait a long time to know, because that doesn't come out until all the way on Thanksgiving. But a category where we get to know a lot about these movies in the next coming week is going to be Best International Feature, where a lot of these movies are opening at Cannes, including my number one in this lineup, The Zone of Interest, out of, I think it's Poland, UK, one of the two. No. Uh, I don't know if there's been an official designation yet, but uh, everything we've heard about this movie just screams it's going to be very interesting, it's going to be very different, it's going to be very bold, and that has been the mainstay of this category for the last few years, just something that can be captivating that people can cling on to it's it just seems like it's something that a lot of people will spark a discussion and i feel like that will help this movie even if it's a topic a lot of people do not really want to or really seek out to talk about the conversations around this movie will really help elevate it outside of this international feature nomination where it could be a three, four, five nomination movie once we get to Oscar morning. The fun thing about recording, so we're recording on May 18th right now. This is going to release after the Zone of Interest has reactions out. At this point, we don't know if these movies are actually good yet because we are doing this pre-can reactions. Regardless, like I mentioned before, even if this movie isn't the greatest thing on paper, the conversations this will spark will help carry it and keep it into the conversation for the rest of the year. Because even the people that despise this movie We'll give this movie free promo and in this category that usually works out in the movie's favor I know last year didn't really work out for Bardo, but in other times it has worked <laughs> out for the movie's favor Number two though I think it could be the possible spoiler of zone of interest is not a just knock out of the ballpark hit That's El Conde out of Chile We know that the Oscars have been receptive to Pablo Lorraine movies They just haven't given him the recognition for his movies But the acting performances or the craft categories in those movies usually get nominations and I feel like that can continue here with El Conde This has has a very great shot of being a top three contender in this category where 
the winning is still a little suspect to me just because of how off-putting sometimes his movies can be for some audience members. However, this movie will have a different angle because it's going to lean more into a little bit of a comedic side. At number three is a movie I think that could be a big shocker out of can. That's uh, La Camira from Italy, Alice Warwalker. This movie I think has two paths. It either going to get unanimous praise or it's going to severely underperform. And at the moment, I'm not sure which one it's going to be. We'll probably know by the time this video is posted. So you can let us know down in the comments, like, hey, this is it or this is not it. But the poster just came out. I think the poster looks very interesting. Ooh, yeah. um, everything I've read about this movie seems very interesting. I think it has a very interesting premise with the archaeology and everything like that. It has recognizable faces in front and behind of the camera. So it's at my number three right now. But who knows? In the next two days, they can jump up to number one or it can go all the way down to like eight or nine this top three is i think the correct top three any way you shake it one of these i think will be the winner it's also very possible that one of these could be snubbed like decision to leave was last year because i'm sure we would have said the same thing about decision to leave at this point well you mentioned decision to leave which really leads me to my next spot because i think this is the spot where the movie could get snubbed and at the moment i have how do you live at number four out of japan we, we saw flea get in but also we've seen other movies in the past struggle to get this nomination. And I feel like there's a chance that this movie could be a little bit overhyped for people. And some people are like, oh, it was good, but it wasn't that good. I think it's still going to be safe in terms of a nomination. But at least all the way out here, middle of May, this seems like the one that could get snubbed. And if Japan doesn't pick it, they have another option of Monster, which did just premiere at Cannes. That got rave reviews. People are saying this is amazing. Uh, Koreeda has another hit on his hands. However... I'm not sure that Japan will pick him. I think they'll go more with How Do You Live. However, yeah, Monster, How Do You Live, one of those movies will be the Japan pick, and I think that will be the one that's right here in that four, five, six range where it's the surprise snub or it's one of our last ones in, but I don't think either of those movies are in the winning contention at this very moment. And my number five pick is out of Senegal. It's Banal and Adama. This is a director's first feature that is played in competition at Cannes, at least to me on paper, that screams that this movie has to be pretty, pretty good. So I'm picking that as a, you know, surprise top nomination at my number five. It is checking off a box from a non-European country because usually we have two, if not three of those in our international feature lineup as well as having either two or three canned movies, and this would make number three my current predictions at the moment, because I have How Do You Live being Japan's submission over Monster. I like this lineup a lot. I think that this top five is as good as it gets at this point. We haven't seen a lot of, uh, of these movies premiere. Now, in terms of Monster, one thing I will say is if Monster gets submitted by Japan for the Oscars, Koreeda will be one of very, very, very few directors to be submitted three times by Japan for the Oscars. It actually has not happened in this century yet. So I, I think it happened with like Akira Kurosawa, but even then I'm not 100% certain about that. So I don't know if they would submit him again rather than give either Miyazaki or someone completely out of left field a shot. I think this looks really good though. Bonell and Adama, you are just safe predicting someone who is a debut in Cannes competition. That means it's really special. And Senegal has never had a nomination before despite being a very famous filmmaking country. I think you bring up a great point about uh, Japan, how they could just pick someone random, because that's the, the fun in this international feature category is we don't know what countries are picking. We can kind of just guess what they're going to pick based off of big name filmmakers. And number six, I have four daughters from Tunisia. Uh, when we had our last international feature little predictions, like, hey, 
this sounds fun. Why not throw it here? The title that is not the premise of the movie. It, it's gonna stay here at number six for kind of a mean pick at the moment just because I'm not feeling really great about anything else. We have About Dry Grass is at number seven out of Turkey. It's premiering at Cannes, but it has a super long runtime and I don't know, I mean, that worked for Drive My Car, but that usually is kind of an off-putting thing for some voters. We have Fallen Leaves at eight. The Peasants that you mentioned over an animated feature at number nine. I don't see them nominating two in one year. And then we have Totem Out of Mexico at number 10 while they missed out for Bardo last year. Mexico has a pretty good track record of having at least one film in the conversation. They just don't always get in. I think Four Daughters is much more than a meme pick uh, at this point. So just to tell you what the film is, because this might push it up a little bit for you, it is a documentary hybrid movie. And the story follows a family in Tunisia, uh, a woman named Olfa. She has four daughters, but two of the daughters have suspiciously gone missing. This is a very true thing. So Olfa plays herself, and two of her four daughters play themselves. And then they've cast asked two additional actors to come in and take over the spots of the two missing daughters. It sounds really interesting, a little bit like Nathan Fielder's The Rehearsal. And like you said with About Dry Grasses, he is not a filmmaker that makes stuff for Oscars. And I know you could say that with Drive My Car. This guy's stuff is very distant, very disconnected. It's not emotional at all and I think if you make a long movie that gets into this category it has to have some emotional pull and I can guarantee about dry grasses will not this will be as heady and clinical and cold thought-provoking but just not uh, emotional fallen leaves is a really strong contender I actually think I have that in my top five at the moment just because I think Aki Korizmaki makes movies in a style that will very much register with the Academy he's been nominated in the past and I could see it happen again but uh, we're gonna know a lot more about this category in 10 days time. Like we've mentioned numerous times already in this episode, we are recording before most canned movies have screened. So we're just going off of some, you know, general feels now, but by the time this episode's out, we'll probably have a completely revised top 10 here. But now moving into a category where a lot of these movies have already been seen because they premiered at Sundance. We have best documentary feature. So do you want to run us through what your top five is at the moment? I will. And I've actually seen a couple of these movies since. And I can say with confidence at this point, I have seen 20 days in Mariupol and this movie is winning. I don't see an avenue for anything else. This is one of the most vital and important pieces of journalism that I have ever seen. It captures the first 20 days of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. This film follows a journalist as he just films the invasion as it takes place over 20 days before evacuating. This is one of the hardest movies I've ever had to watch and that's why it's going to win. I just don't see an avenue for anything else. I don't think that this is a year where something light and frivolous like My Octopus Teacher can swoop in and prevail. This is such an important film. I think this is a documentary we're going to be talking about as one of the foremost documents of the Ukraine war. That said, it's dangerous to be a documentary frontrunner, but it's such an important film that I don't think it's as shakable as something like Apollo 11 or like Won't You Be My Neighbor, which were very good films, but they weren't films that you looked at and said, I have to watch this because this is a document of our times. So you have a clear top number one, but what are you filling the rest of the category with here? Well, yeah, after that, there's some room. And then I've got Beyond Utopia. I haven't seen this film yet. I hope to very soon. It is one of the most acclaimed films out of Sundance this year, and it is about North Korea and about people escaping and emigrating out of 
North Korea. I don't see this being more important than 20 Days in Mariupol, though some people will probably say it's a better film. Then at number three, I have Bread and Roses. This is a film that is uh, produced by Jennifer Lawrence. It is uh, premiering at Cannes this week, and it's an Afghanistan film which is about women underneath the Taliban's rule currently. Uh, it's going to be one that I think will educate as much as it connects emotionally with people. I also think that this is history in the making as well. Just like with 20 Days in Mariupol, the Taliban retaking control of Afghanistan is one of the greatest tragedies of the past five years. And I think Bread and Roses will really, really connect with people. I want to thank Arno for pointing this film out to me and drawing my attention to it. Then at number four, I have The Eternal Memory. This one's a little bit lower than it was before. I have seen this film. This is a Chilean film. It is about a TV reporter who was very well known for covering Augusto Pinochet and now he is suffering from Alzheimer's and this film follows him and his partner as they struggle through his dementia and his loss of memory. Meanwhile the film also talks a lot about collective memory and erased memory. There's a lot of really great stuff about this film and clearly a lot of people adored this out of Sundance but that said I don't know if it fully draws the connection between collective memory and dementia the way that it would like to. It is a charming film. The director did just get nominated for The Mole Agent in 2020, but uh, I don't think that means it needs to get nominated here. I could see it being nominated and possibly being a win contender. I could also see this missing out on the category altogether. Then at number five, I have The Disappearance of Cher Height. This is a film about a sex researcher who uh, vanished, basically, and all of her writing kind of vanished with her. I also haven't seen this one yet. I really hope to very soon, but this one sounds like one of these Sundance movies that could be a strong contender here. But really, I'm going to say my slot five is a blank spot where I wait for something to play at TIFF or Venice will be my slot number five. But to round out my top ten, I have at number six, A Still Small Voice. This is a very fascinating, very tense film set in hospitals in New York City. Then at number seven, The Deepest Breath. I would have thought that this would be a lot higher, and it was a lot higher until I saw it. This is A24 and Netflix co-producing a documentary about free divers. It tries to kind of capture that free solo breathless feeling. I think the archival footage use here is a little bit less interesting. That's kind of why I have it a little bit lower. It could pop up if it's a huge deal on Netflix, but if uh, it's not being talked about on Netflix, I don't count on it. Then I have Iron Butterflies at number eight. This one is another film about Ukraine, but that said, it's getting mixed reactions at best. I have not seen this one. I was supposed to, but I missed the screenings, sadly. So I, I don't have a ton to say on this one. Number nine, I have Smokes on a Sisterhood. Heard great things about this one. It does not have a hot topic around it though, which means that it might be a little bit harder for it to get in to the Oscars 5 because it's not really about anything super important. It's apparently just a pretty good feel-good documentary. And finally, at number 10, Seven Winters in Tehran. This film played at Berlin. I got a chance to see it at Hot Docs. It's a film which parallels a lot of what's happening in Iran right now. This is a story about a woman who killed the man that raped her and she was tried at, for murder and was killed by the uh, Iran state. It's a very tragic story. The form of the movie is not as impressive as the story. If this gets in, which I think it very much could get in, uh, it could be shortlisted. It's gonna be because the story is so powerful, uh, but the film itself, I don't think 
captures the power of the story itself. You know what time it is. We are back for another draft. Before we dive in today, you may see in Matt's background, Fast X is coming out this weekend. However, we haven't seen it yet. I go a little bit later. I don't know if Matt's going to see it because hot take, it's probably... It's probably not good. I don't have to see it to already know it's not good. But you know, I'm going in with an open mind. But today we are drafting franchises in honor of Fast and the Furious. But we're going to make a rule here. Fast is not allowed. It's too much of a cheat code. You get that, you automatically win. So we can't draft the Fast and Furious franchise. But let's not waste any more time. Let's dive into this draft. I don't feel like there's a great first overall choice here. There's so many great franchises out there. And I guess I've set a little bit of rules here. A franchise is like what you think it is. It's a franchise. So like the MCU is a franchise, but like Guardians of the Galaxy or the Tom Holland Spider-Mans, they're not. But you could draft the Garfield or Maguire Spider-Mans. They're their own franchise. Got it. Cool. With all that being said, though, I'm not taking any of that for my first overall choice. I'm hopping over to Warner Brothers because I want the Potterverse. I think the mm. initial run of the Harry Potter movies is one of the greatest film franchises of all time. It delivers for fans of the books. It delivers for people who have never read the books, all ages young and old, and I think it will always stand the test of time. That leads it over to you, Matt. You have the next two picks here. You heard it here first, folks. Dylan supports J.K. Rowling. Hey, I, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> So for my first pick, uh, I'm going to go with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A lot of people are going to rag on this choice, but no one has done a cinematic universe, a franchise, better than Marvel. Through the ups, through the downs, this franchise has covered so much ground. It employs basically every actor in Hollywood, and there have been some amazing films in here, just as there's been some very mediocre ones. Just to name some of my favorite films in here, this franchise consists of Guardians of the Galaxy, Black Panther, the Avengers film specifically, Endgame, Captain America the Winter Soldier, Iron Man, the list goes on and on. There are so many excellent films in here. I think it's pretty undeniable that this one, regardless of how you feel about the worst films in this series, the MCU has defined modern movie going for better or for worse. But I have to go back to the OG franchise for my next pick here because I am going to pick 007. There are, I think, like 25 Bond movies now. And really, this is the original action movie franchise. People would wait to see the next Bond movie for years. There have been so many different portrayals of this character through the years. I really think that this is just a, a strong franchise. Again, like the MCU, it has its great films, it has its mid films, but overall, it has made such an impact on pop culture. That is a great pick. I was really hoping 007 would last until my next pick. I'm gonna go with a little bit of a different pick here at uh, number four overall. I could probably wait for this, but I don't wanna risk not getting it. And I am going to return to the superhero genre like you did with the MCU. But I'm gonna go with just a, you know, a smaller one. There's not many films here, there's just three, but give me Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Um, I think what he built up and what he did to create the world of this franchise it was the first darker take on a superhero. And there was even talks and fans were clamoring for this to become a franchise with spinoffs, with Robin, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, with TV shows. Warner Brothers Nolan never really delivered and went into that, but I'm really happy where the future of Batman's gone, where the future of Nolan has gone. And I feel like this iteration of The Dark Knight will be what a lot of people come to say is like the best 
Batman franchise. To follow that up though, I'm going with a, a kid's animated franchise and there's two really good ones here and I wish I could have them both. One of these is the most iconic, I think, animated franchise of all time and that is that lovely ogre named Shrek. Nice pick. We got this running dronky here. He's always here. I, I couldn't let him down. Shrek, it had to be here. I feel like regardless, kind of like what you said with the MCU, regardless of the lows of this franchise, the highs are so insanely high. And this animated series has created so much for the realm of animation, for the realm of making fun of other people with how they, they, they dragged on Disney but made it their own thing. We have Shrek. We have Puss in Boots. What other angles Universal decides to take these characters inside this franchise, I will always be here for. And that's why so many people are are just begging for Shrek 5 to come out, and that's because of how strong everything has been so far. It is one of the most influential series in modern animation. You know, it really defined what a film for kids could be for parents. Pixar did it a little bit first, but Shrek kind of went full on with just like the innuendo for adults to watch. So that's a very, very good pick. But for my next pick, I'm gonna pick something that's gonna piss you off. I'm very sorry, Dylan, I have to take Avatar. It is only two films so far, but it is a five film franchise. I believe that the world that is being built of Pandora is going to stand as one of the greatest cinematic achievements of all time. This world is stunning, and truly this is going to be one of the greatest franchises of all time. I fully agree. I mean, Avatar is, I think, the clear number one overall choice, but for me, there's only two yet, so I, I was going to hold off and get a little bit later, so I have, you know, a little bit of a deeper catalog with my above picks, but, you know, uh, James Cameron, he could do no wrong. For my next pick, I'm going to pair this with another deep space adventure being Star Wars. Now, I am admittedly not a huge fan of Star Wars. I think that the first movie is one of the greatest movies ever made, and I think it's been all downhill from there. But that said, Star Wars as a franchise has so much potential. It has limitless potential, actually, I'd say. The infinite reach of space means this story can go anywhere. It can do anything. The lightsabers, the mythology of the Jedi and the Sith. I think it's an insanely engaging idea. I just happen to think that barely any of these films have actually delivered on this to this point. But that said, this is a beloved franchise that I think has so many devoted fans to it, and it's one that I am always excited for the next project in because I always hope that it's going to deliver out of this world, out of this universe, what I think is really possible from it. You Star Wars though, so I'm going to go on the flip side and take the Middle Earth franchise with Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Have I seen any of these movies? No, but that doesn't mean I can't pick it here because I know people love these and I know they're adored and I know that people say they really deliver on what they're supposed to. Haven't seen them. They're on my list though, so y'all can make fun of me out there for still not having seen a Lord of the Rings or a Hobbit movie. I am going to make fun of you for it because you should have seen these movies, man. And eventually I will. But you know what movies I have seen, and this is going to be, I think, the the biggest steal of the draft here, because I'm getting the original franchise, the original cinematic universe, get me the Universal Classic Monsters franchise, because they influence the game so much. I mean, you have Dracula, you have Wolfman, you have Phantom, the Invisible Man, Frankenstein. You got so many here, and... 
I mean, regardless of how these movies have stood the test of time, that's one thing, but then you go into how they've influenced not just horror, but just film in general. They may only be like an hour or an hour and a half each, but they really know how to, to, to stick stick out every time. And I feel like this is a great late round pick. They have a lot to offer and, you know, they kind of get forgot about, but they really deliver when you put one on. Here's my, uh, my cinephile card being revoked. I've only seen Frankenstein out of the series. I haven't seen any of the other classic monsters movies. Hey, I haven't seen Lord of the Rings. You haven't seen yeah, classic but monsters. I've seen Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein. So that's that's what I've seen. I'm not a huge fan of either movie, admittedly. But for my final pick, I'm going to go for a series that I am a huge fan of. A series that I think constantly delivers on the thrills that reinvents itself and steps it up every single time, even when you think that stepping it up is no longer possible. Suddenly, Tom Cruise is hanging off the side of a goddamn jet. Mission Impossible is the franchise to end all franchises. It's less of a movie franchise and more of an excuse for Tom Cruise to push the limit of what a 60-year-old body can possibly do. At this point, it seems like he is going to die doing this series, and I think we're all going to be happy to watch it on screen when it happens. Not because fuck Tom Cruise, but because we'll know that he went out doing exactly what makes him happy, being a goddamn insane person. This is one of the greatest franchises of all time, and it has a new movie coming out in just about a month and a half, and it is easily one of my most anticipated of the year because I know it's going to be one of the best experiences in a cinema of this year for sure, hands down. I think that's a great one to leave off on. Some honorable mentions I had on my short list here, I already kind of mentioned before, the other animated franchise was Toy Story and then Planet of the Apes, which I think kind of follows in tune with your Mission Impossible argument where it just keeps getting better the longer you go. So to recap here in our franchise draft that sadly we could not pick the Fast franchise because that would just easily win this draft. I had the Potterverse, we had Christopher Nolan's Batman franchise, Shrek, Middle Earth, and Universal Classic Monsters. And on my team, I have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, James Bond 007, Avatar, Star Wars, and Mission Impossible. Thank you for tuning to episode 49 of Fantasy Fumball. This was a little bit of a shorter episode, but that doesn't mean that we didn't have a lot to talk about this week. We went over the Killers of the Flower Moon trailer. We did some specialized category predictions, including animated, international, and documentary. And then we drafted our favorite franchises. However, all the fun isn't just here on the podcast. Go over to the YouTube channel because Matt and Arno are doing a Can Parallel Challenge. They're going to be talking all about that. So, Matt, why don't you just you know give a little bit of a tease for everyone out there for what they can indulge in. Arno and I are both big Cannes Film Festival nerds, and we are essentially uh, going through all of the Cannes films that are playing in competition this year, and we've selected another film by each of those directors that we're watching and we're going to talk about. So you'll get a lot of information about these filmmakers, why they're exciting, why they're interesting. You'll hear about their new films, and you'll hear about their older films that we're watching for this challenge. Definitely go and check that out. It's over on uh, on the YouTube channel, the Can Parallel Challenge. In addition to that, make sure to come back next week because on episode 50, we're so close to hitting the year. We're going to be skipping doing the predictions for an episode, but we're going to do a, you know, a little bit of a can roundup. We're going to dive into The Little Mermaid. We may dive into some Blackberry as well as do a Disney princess draft there's going to be 
So much to talk about next week before we kick things off in the month of June. We hit one year and then we do our post can predictions. So there's a lot coming up. So definitely stay tuned whether it's here on the podcast or over on YouTube. But until next time, my name is Dill. And my name is Matt. And this is Fantasy Film Ball. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Fantasy Film Ball with Matt and Dill. Keep up to date with us on Twitter at FFilmBall. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. We even upload a video format of the podcast to YouTube if you want to see our faces. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show and come back next week.